Good afternoon. Nice to see you all from this side of the pulpit. So today, um, I'll be speaking on true fellowship. And um, I know that usually, you know, we prefer gathering uh, this type of setting more than doing it over Zoom. But there's a reason for that. I mean, we look for fellowship through friends and family and even through social media. Anything so we could connect with other people. But God gave us specific requirements to uh, fellowship amongst believers. So uh, today's sermon is entitled, By This We Know, True Fellowship. The Apostle John will lead us through how bearing witness leads to belief and faith, which will lead us to true fellowship. We'll go through uh, these stages, like I mentioned, uh, in order to explain what true fellowship will look like. So before I begin and dive in the core of the subject, let me give you a little bit of a history about uh, the Apostle John. John and James were brothers, and they were the sons of Zebedee and Salome. It is supposed also that Zebedee's wife, Salome, was Mary's sister, which makes John and James Jesus' cousin. John was the author of the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the Book of Revelation. As Andrew mentioned last week, John played a key role as an elder in the early church in Asia Minor. John and his brother were among the first disciples called by Jesus. In fact, John was one called the, the disciple that Jesus loved. Now that the history lesson is over, I'll ask you to stand and we'll read the text for today. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are in our midst today. We know, Lord, that you Ask that your people gather, Lord, so we could fellowship and become one body. It is written in your word, Lord, many times over. And we will see that today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. For the solid foundation that we could stand And will never waver. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So we'll look at the text uh, we just read. We'll take it apart in smaller sections, so it'll be a little bit more bite-sized. So when we begin in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard. Now who is this we that John is alluding to? So John is obviously including himself, but who else is part of this we? 
Now, looking back in John's gospel, there are two instances where we have the words, we have seen. We will find it in the first chapter of John 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. And then in chapter 20, verse 25, so the disciples tell Thomas, we have seen the Lord. So John here refers to we in verse 3 as the apostles themselves who saw and heard. They were the ones who witnessed the glory of God residing amongst his people. And now that we have established that the apostles were the ones who saw and heard, the other question we have is what was seen and what was heard. So in this case, John is calling our attention to his eyewitness testimony. A witness is a person who has seen firsthand an important event that takes place. And when this person shares and shows evidence from this important event, it is said that this person bears witness. Now, fun fact in my research, the word witness is mentioned 121 times in the Bible. And out of those 121 times, 27 is in the book of John. Usually there's no coincidence in God's words. So when there's repetition, I think it requires more of our retention. We'll see that the Gospel of John shows us exactly what John witnessed. And more importantly, why his witness is so pivotal. He was not only present to see Jesus in the flesh, but also witnessed the truth of Jesus' claims. John saw Jesus turn water into wine. Heal the royal official's son, heal the paralytic, feed the crowd of 5,000, walk on water, heal the blind man from birth, and raise Lazarus from the dead. He was also was there to hear teach Jesus teach the crowds and his own disciples. So John was there for it all. And what John is conveying here in 1 John 1, 3 is that his testimony is true and factual because he saw and heard from his own eyes and ears. And we all know that one's eyewitness testimony can be negated, but that's why John makes it a point to have accounts of the other apostles and also from John the Baptist who bears witness to the same claims. In John 5.3 it states, You send John and he has borne witness to the truth. So it's important to take a moment to realize how paramount these testimonies are to the gospel. Witnesses have been, uh, that have seen the works of Jesus and heard the words of Jesus will come to believe and then in turn spread his gospel to the world so others will come to believe and have faith. Brothers and sisters, let's consider this. God made us out of flesh in our, in our carnality, our sinful hearts and dry bones. The Lord has chosen his creation and made them his witnesses. The God who made us also included us to be part of his redemption plan. Now let's go to the text to see how Jesus calls us to be witnesses and bring others to believe. In Acts 1, 6, 8, 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdoms to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and telling them that they will be his witnesses and they will share the good news that they have seen and heard. And they will share this good news throughout the world. Now John is very intentional in the gospel when lining up a multitude of witnesses to showcase the truth of Jesus Christ's claims against the world who actually rejected him. Let's take a closer look to see what Jesus says about believing these witnesses. In John 20, 24, 29, we read, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side... I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So we could clearly see here in verse 25 that Thomas doesn't believe the testimony of the disciples. He even mentions that to believe he must see for himself and touch for himself. Initially we may think how foolish Thomas was to not have believed or give any attention to the disciples' testimony. But Thomas did no harm here. In fact, Jesus does not rebuke him, but acknowledges him in his humanity. Again, John is very intentional when including the story in the text. First, the fact that John doubted so radically gives his testimony much more weight and credibility. And second, Thomas' confession my Lord and my God, not only approves of the disciples' testimony, but also links it to the beginning of John's gospel when he says the word was God. I say the word confession here because this is where Thomas's eyes were open to the truth that Jesus is also God. The next statement Jesus makes is crucial in verse 29. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. In other words, blessed are those who have not seen, but yet believe the witnesses and their testimonies. So the idea of spreading the gospel through witnesses is predominant throughout the entire Bible. One example is when God makes, people, makes the people of Israel his witnesses by showing himself to them through miracles when he rescues them from the slavery 
In Exodus 19, 5, 6, God calls them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation so that they can bear witness on what they have seen and heard to the rest of the nations. The scriptures take it even a step further and speak about bearing false witness. The story of the rich man in Matthew 19, 18, he says to him, which ones, speaking of the commandments to keep, and Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your brother, your neighbor as yourself. Bearing false witness goes against what pleases God. In fact, we must take heed to this commandment. In 1 Corinthians 15, 15, Moreover, we are even found to be false witness of God, because we testify against God that has raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. So you see how God prepared the scene where he has human beings, like the prophets in the Old Testament, and John the Baptist bear the witness of Christ's coming. And then he has many men and women witness his coming his death and resurrection, as to bring more men to believe their testimony and have faith. Now this brings you to our second point, which is belief and faith. So why John is putting so much emphasis on all who have witnessed these important events? If we continue reading our text where we left off, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So to proclaim... So when they proclaim what they saw and heard, because it is the truth. To proclaim is to announce officially and publicly. And this means that people were to believe in the solid witnesses and that what, that what these men and women were proclaiming about Jesus was true because they were there to bear witness about what they saw and heard. Because of these testimonies, people were called to believe that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and deserve eternal punishment, and yet, in his great mercy, God sent his only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to provide the way for sinners to have eternal life through him. Now that the witnesses have been conv convinced, what now? Is believing all there is to it. John has been writing about how witnesses will bring people to believe, but belief must be followed by faith. So some people have been using the term belief and faith meaning as the same thing, but belief is more of an intellectual decision where people believe a witness in what they saw and heard, whereas faith is a personal trust in God's word. But more importantly, faith is what can grow or die in a believer. In Romans 4.19, Paul is referring to Abraham's faith when they were expecting a child that God had promised. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave God the glory. 
fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So we are to grow in our faith by reading his word and obeying it. Because we cannot trust our own judgment. When we see James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Or like in Luke 11.28, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And when you grow in faith because of God's word, we become more courageous to share the gospel and to be a witness as Paul mentions the Philippians chapter 1:14 and most of the brothers have become more confident in the Lord by my punishment are much more bold to speak the word without fear and once the foundation of what we believe and have faith has been set it becomes the common ground for all the saints to partake in true fellowship we will not get to the third and last point with God's word, we will identify key points of what it is to have true fellowship amongst believers. The word fellowship comes from the Greek meaning koinonia. It means to have a partnership with the saints. There is communion and contributions towards this partnership. And there is sharing of common belief and faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You remember the beginning, in order to believe and have faith, someone has to bear witness to Christ. And if and when the Lord brings you to believe and have faith, you will then share by proclaiming this belief and faith with others, so they too will come to believe the same. When I use the term true fellowship, is to dif differentiate from the idea that social gathering in churches for refreshments or meals is what it means to, be, to have fellowship. We have denigrated the meaning of what God-centered fellowship should be. If you go back to our original text in 1 John, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Andrew mentioned last week that Jesus coming in the flesh was important and pivotal. One of the reasons is that God is a God of community. And we can see this from the beginning, God wanting to dwell with his people. Even though God cannot withstand the presence of sin or us not being able to survive to be in the presence of God. But in his glorious mercy and grace, he made a place for himself among his people. In Exodus 25, 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Numbers 35, 34, you shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people. Colossians 1, 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So you can see as well as I can that God is a God of fellowship. God intended for us to gather as one so that you may have fellowship with us, which means amongst other believers like you 
do now and have fellowship by our focus and steadfastness in Christ our Savior. Picture this. If God is calling his people to him as a shepherd would call his sheep, what happens to the sheep when they run to the shepherd? The sheep also gather together close to each other. And it's in that gathering that God will work among his people and form his new family in Christ. How does this look like? It starts with love. I don't mean the feelings of love with peace signs and heart emojis, but love that is founded in Christ. How did God show his love? Unnailing his son on the cross so he can dwell and have fellowship with his people. This demonstration of love was sacrificial and came at as, as a cost. And as believers that part of the church that are part of the church body, we are to love one another with the same sacrificial love. Actions like giving honor to your brothers and sisters and forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you. In first Peter four eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Romans 14, 13, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put the stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Or Colossians 3, 12, 13, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive them, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Brothers and sisters, the word is clear. We need to overlook each other's transgressions and forgive as painful as it may be. We learned earlier that we cannot trust our own judgment. Therefore, we must trust and rely on God's word, either it pleases us or not. The people on the left are not better than the ones on the right, and the ones on the right are not worse off than the ones on the left. We are one body. If you are sitting here in these pews, you are part of this family, and by God's word, it's clear that we need to act in love. When you finish the rest of the text, in 1 John 1, 3, 4, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So John is obviously putting on paper his account of all that he has seen and heard and the accounts of many others' witnesses. So when the people read these texts, there are true accounts. And they will come 
to believe and have fellowship with God the Father and God the Son and with other believers. And this will make their joy complete because they will be used as tools to point sinners to Christ. The believer does not want any light to be shed on themselves but only on Christ. Like John the Baptist bore witness for the coming of Christ because he too pointed sinners to him. In John 3, 28, 30, you yourselves bear my, me, me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I, have sent, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom and the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this is my joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. We are losing credibility as individual Christians bearing witness to Christ against the world, but we are made stronger together in belief and in faith, and God will be glorified. First Peter 2, 4, 5, As you come in, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You will be rejected by the world. But God says to join in the fellowship of the saints so he can build you up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, just like at the beginning of the sermon we read in Exodus 5-6, God calls them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation so that they can bear witness on what they have seen and heard to the rest of the nations. How clear is God's word? God is calling us to fellowship with the saints in the common belief and faith in Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, died on the cross, and resurrected from the dead so we can bear witness together as one body, as a bride who knows her husband is coming. And she bears witness because she has come to know him. So in summary, The first steps are to believe, have faith, and repent. To join the fellowship of the saints. And then to go and make disciples. Heavenly Father, we... Thank you, Lord, that you are in our midst. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who wants to fellowship with his people. And Father, forgive us when we are rebellious in that way.
you asked us to be one body. Your word is clear, Lord, that we need to act in love, sacrificial love for each other, raise each other up, as this is pleasing to you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that your spirit is within us, Lord, to soften our hearts and open our minds to your word. They will know us by the love that we have for each other. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing at LCF. I thank you, Lord, that you're bringing us closer to you so that we could be closer to each other. Help us, Lord, to focus on Christ. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory and all the honor. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.